This is another factor that we bring up fairly regularly. The, the highway funds are supposed to come in large part from the tax that you pay per gallon. And it's a fixed penny per gallon, fixed number of pennies per gallon, regardless of the price of gasoline. Once more into the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to another exciting episode of the Personal <laughs> Wealth Coach. Sometimes, and it is exciting. Sometimes more exciting for us than for the rest of the world. And people go, why oh, are yes. you guys so excited? Well, we don't know if we're on the air sometimes. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs uh but uh today that's how we're starting our episode yeah uh we are uh, a a finance program as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title the personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program it's also the name of an sec registered investment advisory firm all right well does that mean that the sec likes us what would you say to that sir i would say that the sec is a professionally dislikes almost everyone right that is no implication of the sec's approval just because we're registered with them why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is and it's less disclosureable it takes less time to do if it's just the same name so we've been doing this program here uh on this in, on this station 1400 am in temple since 1996 we've been doing this a long time and we haven't been paid for it ever uh we also have not ever paid for it so we've been doing this a long long time and the whole idea is education we do advertise as a firm for on the studio uh on the channel for this radio program we don't actually advertise for our firm we're advertising for the radio program so what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think... Right. We're going to be having some vacation time coming up later this month, and you may just have to say it if we have reruns playing. You may right. just have to say it in the middle of the day to get. It I out say of your in the system. middle of the night, and and it's it's this is one of the very few places or circumstances under which you will hear that said correctly because said information, most cases, uh, you see in print, and it's actually should be printed information, and it's said, and we say said information at the end, which is accurate. Unless it's a transcription of this radio program and then through 
the laws of the meta, uh, it is no longer accurate. But that mm, which but it was remains, accurate when it was presented. This would be accurate in print or out. The accuracy of unsaid information cannot be guaranteed. Oh, I can. I can guarantee that unsaid information is incomplete. I didn't say complete. I said accuracy. Oh, well, that's right. But it may not be accurate, too. Well, I mean, anyway, you can't guarantee it. That's for sure. We probably ought to talk about economics and stuff because that's what we're supposed to talk about. Yeah, people kind of like to listen to us for that rather than, well, maybe also because we banter around about nothing. We could, do, we could be like a prospectus and do disclosure for two hours and nobody would listen, but we would be like a prospectus. Uh, we have some questions. Uh, John, Inquisitor John, our most faithful questioner, constantly questioning us, John. Uh, we appreciate it more than we can say. Good questions, too. His first question is, what is the significance of parody, if any, and is, as is tradition, he has a digital picture of the paper Wall Street Journal emailed to us, and the question is based on the euro exchange with the dollar rate. They're about one for one. What is the significance of it? He's got a little section uh, circled out. As a historical milestone, dollar-euro parity is a frivolous one, not the energy crisis that triggered it. Not so the energy tr crisis that triggered it. Um, I agree with that. It, w what is important about the exchange rate, rate being at parity? Um, it's a lot easier to do the calculation for the exchange rate right now. I think you would agree with that. I think certainly. Well, it's how, how many dollars do I get for this? Well, you still have to pay for it because there's a middle person. It's actually $1. At the end of the day on Friday, it was $1 and eight tenths of one cent or nine tenths of one cent would buy a euro. So get out your eight tenths or nine tenths of a penny, all of you out there, because you're going to need that to make change. <laughs> I love how we do parodies and denominations that nobody actually owns. It's fantastic. But that's what it is. It, right now, it just means that we can buy more from Europe at a cheaper price. That's it. Um, why is it happening? Well, because there's a war in Europe right now. And uh, they've got questions about their energy reliability. And they've got questions about their own security. And as much as the expenses are going up, um, we're not lacking for gas. Texas has got some power grid issues. But when you compare it to whether or not they're going to have power at all for the totality of winter it, it kind of puts the i don't know, we might have spotty issue versus oh the whole system might be about to shut down without notice or with a long notice but nobody took it um so do you want to well, add anything to that well there hasn't been much about it but a series of u.s presidents from both parties i remember president obama saying this and of course um uh, President Trump said it, warned the Europeans that becoming economically dependent upon Russia for fuel was a really bad idea. Yeah, this is something I think Americans in general could agree with. Even Donald Trump, who was very pro-Russia, said it was a bad idea to depend on Russia completely. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Germans, on the other hand, uh, uh, decided that it was a good idea to pivot towards Russia and engage with Russia and if they engaged with Russia economically then Russia would not be a threat because if the, you don't attack your best customer 
uh, I think that that hypothesis has been nulled. Yep, that is a null hypothesis. We have uh, canceled that one out. Not going to make it to theory status on that one. Yep, and therein is the reality. And, you know, it's a, it, this, the same thing is true for the people who were it, thought to be pretty much fringe at the time who were warning us that critical defense components like rare earths were coming almost exclusively from China. And the reason was it's much more expensive because we don't want to wreck our, our ecology in the United States uh, because rare earth mining is a very dirty business. That's the nicest thing I can say about it. It, it involves a lot of water and the water that is when they're done with it has a lot of heavy metals in it and is deadly poisonous. And you've got to figure out some way to get the poison out of the water or store the remnant of the water someplace where well, it won't poison people. You really the Chinese don't, don't you, worry about that. Yeah, you don't really have to worry about it. If you're China, you're just like, well, it's just water. It's water, right? It's fine. Mm-hmm. They well, pour then, it into the river and it poisons people downstream, but that's no big thing. No problem. No problem. So, and one of the things, interestingly enough, the, the right and the left – Nobody really, the, the, the left wing side of politics was saying, we don't want the, the mining in the United States because it'll damage the economy, or not the economy, the ecology. And the right and the wing was Re- saying. Republicans, the Republicans were saying, uh, let's go where the least cost is because that is the most effective way to do business. Right. And combined, it led to a strategic security risk. And now we're starting to focus on it and saying, hey, we need to do this, but it means it's going to be more expensive. It means that and until we find a way of making it cleaner, which just as a side note, people said fracking was going to be a lot more expensive and nobody will ever do that until the price of oil got up into the hundreds of dollars a barrel for an extended period of time. And then we said, oh, well, we had enough money to figure out how to do it cheaper and better. So we did. And now it's not an expensive technology. There's a little side note here that I think a lot of people don't know. The, the largest concentrated deposit of rare earths in the world is in Texas. Yeah. It's out. It's basically there's a mountain of rare earths um, that is this side of El Paso in the desert. And it is really desert, desert, desert there. And that's one of and, the problems with rare earth mining is that in order to you've got to use a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the well, desert, 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 by we could say that a few more times, it's hard to right. get water. Well, in, actual, in actuality, they have found a aquifer, a deep aquifer that is not very drinkable because it's got a lot of minerals in it that they can use for that. It's going to take a while to spin it up. Uh, it's still going to be ex- more expensive than buying it from China. This is where I think, uh, and another thing the Republicans historically have not believed in is industrial policy. They are going all the way back to Reagan. They were they hate industrial policy, which is where the government says we want to fund this section, this particular industry, because we think it's important to encourage this industry to move forward and not allow free enterprise just to determine the the end result. Right. Well, free enterprise says it's cheaper to buy it from China. Right. Um, but I think industrial policy, particularly when we have critical elements that literally elements in this case rares 
uh, that we need to get out of the ground here rather than importing from someplace else. I think it's time for the government to step up, and they are, by the way, uh, step up with some money to assist the people in getting that stuff out of the ground. Now, to say, now, now that we've said that, and I'm in complete agreement with what you've just said, I will point out the dangers because those of you that lean right politically are probably saying, well, because there are some major issues. The solar industry in the United States was pretty much stagnant for the last, oh, 25 years until the last four years or so when a whole bunch of new companies all came on the market at the same time. And the reason why it was stagnant, stagnant for two and a half decades during a time when technology was progressing very quickly the panels didn't change. They were essentially the same technology from the beginning to the end of that period. So why was that? Well, because there were a lot of subsidies from the government to the manufacturers that were subsidizing them based on per panel production, not subsidizing them based on research and development, not subsidizing them based on new efficiencies in panels, so it remained profitable for them to sell inefficient solar technology because the government was subsidizing it. So the Republicans have a good argument here, and it's true. And the Democrats have a, a good argument on the other side. Hey, we've got to protect the payroll of these people. We've got to give them good, fair compensation. So there's a middle ground about intellectual property and about innovation. Usually when the government puts a bunch of money towards something, it can spur innovation, but it often just spurs people that are good at getting government contracts. So there's a lot of nuance that we need to figure out from a practical perspective. But the reason why this industrial policy exists at all isn't because we want to encourage innovation. It's because we want to make sure that strategically we don't have a threat against our economy. If if power runs out in one area, we have alternatives. If we don't have rare earth metals, we should have them because our defense is dependent upon it. So having said all of that, there's nuances. You can't be just Democrat or just Republican on this one. Uh, it's kind of like, is it good, a good idea to base all of your purchases on Russia? Well, probably not. And I think both sides agree on that. There are a lot of other things that we hope that both sides can agree on. And I think we've, we went from parity on the Euro all the way down this. And we have another question for us. Yes, we um, do. Uh, this one was from Gary. And the question is, how badly will the impending railroad strike affect the economy? I have a really fast answer for that, by the way. Okay. It won't. Because there won't be one. Yeah. Because there won't be one. Yeah. Because the president said, "Stop! Don't do that." Well, the president's supposed to be appointing a board that only has until Monday. <laughs> well, on Friday, <laughs> to make a recommendation. The Washington Post news posted last night: President Joe Biden on Friday blocked a freight railroad strike for at least sixty days by naming mm -hmm. a board. So the board's yeah, there so for sixty days, and the board of arbiters um, can interview intervene in the contract dispute if it becomes strategically important the president can stop it period the, ronald reagan did this bill clinton did this when the air traffic controllers went on strike um, just as a side note in the uk last month they just had a national strike of their freight train workers and it was a nightmare 
So uh, we have more authority at the executive level to prevent that sort of thing in the United States. If it had, if we did get a freight railroad strike right now, it would be significantly bad. That that is, I think, a, the an word, understatement. <laughs> the word that was used by the Association of uh, Chamber of Commerce Association, that National Chamber of Commerce Association representative, it would be disastrous. Yes. And it, it would. It would be. It would be a terrible thing. We, we would um, have a recession. That would be it. We're we're teetering yeah. along on slowing growth. What's going on? So on. We would have a recession because it would cause prices to spike beyond what even the Federal Reserve was spiking it to, and people would stop buying stuff. When people stop buying stuff, that's a big deal. <laughs> we mm-hmm. just had retail spending go up, not down. So, and they're buying less than they were before, but it still went up a lot. So all it takes is what, like what we're seeing in the housing market where houses because of interest rates and because a lot of people have been trying to buy houses, we don't have enough of them. We're seeing this, this price go up. The federal reserve raises interest rates, stops buying mortgages on the, on the secondary market that causes interest rates on mortgages to go up. With the interest rate on the mortgage and the price of the house going up, it causes a lot fewer people to be buying houses. And a lot fewer people to be building houses. Right. So that causes copper prices to drop. It causes lumber prices to drop. It causes labor to drop in construction, which causes a new house to be built for less money. That's the the inflation fighting properties of raising interest rates. Uh, and, and if there are a few, few, fewer people building houses, and if we get the unemployment rate back up around four percent, which is really not greatly different than it is now, but if we get the unemployment rate up a little higher, which is uh, Chairman Powell said is likely to happen, then there will be less money for people to spend. The, the problem, and we talk about inflation, um, the difficulty the Federal Reserve is facing, and it is a big difficulty, is this bout of inflation was not caused by pumping too much money into the economy. It was caused by supply shortages. Uh, There's a small amount, like one-tenth of one percent of it, that was caused by the money that was pumped into the economy, according to Moody's. But not just the lion's share, 99% of the inflation we're seeing right now, above the 2% that the Fed wants to see, is because of the pandemic China's shutting uh, shutting off, starting up, and the shortage of goods, and we were trying to buy a lot of goods, and then Russia's and the big one, the big one, like half of the total inflation number, and the real inflation number, by the way, is about between five and about five percent is the real inflation number, uh, but about half of that is Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the tremendous jump in the cost of petroleum that has resulted from it, and food. Food across the board. I mean, these right. are two of the major producers of food in the world, and they're only, I mean, we're starting to see, do you see this, just side note, kind of good news on the food side. Um, Turkey is organizing um, convoys from Odessa of ships to ship out grain. And that means that they're, the Turks are going to be putting out war vessels which, by the way, it doesn't matter if they're completely unarmed. It's just symbolic that they're war vessels escorting these convoys. They're also allowing Russian grain out, even Russian grain that may have come from Ukraine. 
because they're not getting on the ships to inspect grain ships right now. There's some real issues with that. The, U- the United Nations and NATO are looking at Turkey and saying, hey, why are you doing this? And Turkey is doing, well, we're getting paid. Um, well, there's more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. You start starving people, and particularly in what we used to call the Middle East, is yeah. now called uh, is now called Southwestern Asia, Middle East, Southwest. and North Africa, right? Uh, you you start into a position where when people get hungry, they get really nasty, and there's a lot of people who would get hungry in Turkey if they don't get the grain. Yeah, and they will probably get nasty. And so the president of Turkey, Ergodan, who is uh, not noted for his genteel and, and, and diplomatic astuteness, basically says, I don't want there to be a revolution that overthrows me. So we need to bring food out of Russia and, and Ukraine, Ukraine, which is, yeah. And- so the, that is good news kind of across the board for a big chunk of Africa and chunks of Asia as well as Europe. It's also good news for us in that uh, there's a big drought in Texas right now, which is going to make the price of grains even higher. There's drought covering a large portion of the food-producing part of our nation right at a time when the rest of the world is also not producing as much, which means prices are going up there. This is all inflationary. If you drive... East and south of here, particularly, you will see cornfields where the corn is about waist high, it's turned brown, and there's no ears on it, which means there will not be a corn crop this year. Right. And this is, this is when people say, stop using water. This is why, because those crops need it more than your St. Augustine grass, grass needs it. And we're about out of time for this hour. I feel like there's so much more to talk about, even on just this subject. Um, but, I mean, we've got another hour. Next hour is another hour. Yes, we. that's routine. That, do we have another hour after the one that we had? Right. Right. Uh, yes. The, it, without that, we would time would stop, and we, nobody wants right. that. And we, that means we'd be going the speed of light, which would be awkward because we'd be as large as the universe. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, I got a tidbit that you'll like, too. Oh, I like tidbits in general. Which, which tidbit are we talking about? Electric car sales mm-hmm. have hit 5% of the total. For the United States or the world? Mm-hmm. For the 5% for the United States. That is fantastic. Now, by, why do and I say that's fantastic? It isn't because I think electric cars are better than other cars. It's fantastic because this is innovation. And anytime you have something new, it's got to compete and generally becomes better because of the competition. Anyway, go ahead. The, the 5% line is important because we've seen other places where electric vehicles were offered and once you hit 5%, then it becomes economically uh, effective to put an infrastructure in to support something that's got a 5% sales ratio. Which makes it easier for the next layer to get it. So the people that are mostly getting electric cars in the United States, this is a good way of looking at it. There are certain neighborhoods that you go to that certainly have a lot higher than 5% on the Tesla chart. Uh, and those neighborhoods generally have more expensive homes. It's pretty easy to say that most people getting electric vehicles right now are wealthy and they can afford the extra time or the extra money to get their cars charged. That has to happen for the next layer down to get its infrastructure built. And if you go back to the beginning of the internal combustion engine, it started out with 
a bunch of people tinkering. Lots and lots of tinkering. of, And then the wealthy people started getting these horseless carriages. And as long as only about 1% of the people, maybe 2 or 3% of the people had it, it was not worth doing. And then we hit the turning point of about 5% of the people, and it made Henry Ford able to produce vehicles. Up to that point, he was kind of a small company with nothing in competition with hundreds of other people making cars, including the local blacksmith. And And it went from that to now we have an infrastructure in place. Let's decide what kind of infrastructure it is. The reason why we use gasoline, all that stuff was made at that point. What were you going to say? There was an argument at the time against the internal combustion engine in in cars in general, mm-hmm. because where are you going to get fuel for them? Right, and that's I really mean, you can you can always find fuel for your horse, and you can ride a train all the way across the country, but these cars can only go a short distance, and then and the roads yeah, are in the country. Made, there's no there's the ro- no fuel places. Right. There's roads made for horses. These aren't made for these automobiles. They keep popping tires and. Uh, breaking axles and there's no infrastructure for them well it comes after the need is there and when we're talking about electric this this is great because you can I, i can point back to this great innovation of internal combustion the reason why henry ford chose to use gasoline for their for for the cars was very very simple it was a it was a byproduct of the refining of kerosene Kerosene was used in lamps. It was the number one need for oil products at that point. The rest of the stuff that came out of the oil was used for lubrication and stuff, but gasoline was actually just dumped on the ground. It wasn't needed anymore, and so they just dump it into the lake or the river and get rid of it because there was not enough of it. it was not. And Henry Ford said, well, that's a waste. So I'll, I'll build a, a car that will use this inefficiency, it's basically going to be free to fuel it because these people are just dumping the gasoline. So gasoline will be free forever. And that's why I'm basing the internal internal combustion on it. And it was a fantastic idea. And now the infrastructure is all built around gasoline. It is no longer the cheap byproduct. It is the expensive product. And we have a new technology that's coming out that is just as inefficient or more so than the original internal combustion but internal combustions have gotten a lot better over the last 100 years. And electric is on that high growth rate of efficiency as well. Stand, uh, solid state batteries coming out by lots of folks, different types of batteries. So when we look ahead 100 years, I just don't see a lot of internal combustion. I see I don't, something else. I don't, I don't see a lot of internal combustion engines 10 years from now on the road. Yeah. Uh, they're just For trucks, not, maybe, but not... Most cars will be electric at that point. And, and one of the, you know, you mentioned something, I'm going to steal an, uh, something from you that you talked about the other day. You can't steal it from me. But by the way, uh, if I had said you can have it, it wouldn't be stealing. So right. It's kind okay. of an oxymoron. I have to tell you, you I can't you. have it or you, it wouldn't be stealing. So you can't right. have this. Go ahead. We have a shortage of electric generation capacity in the state of Texas. Yes. We would find an improved situation if there were many, many, many electric vehicles being charged at night when we have an abundance of electric generation capacity yeah, instead of having to pump the gasoline in the daytime. It's like you read my mind. That was one of the subjects that I was about to bring up. 
because Texas is a fantastic picture right now of what's going on in, in, in the whole economy. And you taking that and, and saying this is ab- absolutely the best segue ever. Uh, ERCOT is the uh, electricity reliability of Texas council thing out there that's saying, hey, shut down plants or don't shut down plants. Mostly don't turn your plants off right now. Even though they need maintenance. Right. Even though they need maintenance, they've got water leaks and so on. These are bad things that need to be fixed or the plant will shut down without uh, any choices being made. It will just be shut down because it won't work anymore. So there aren't any plants being manufactured right now in Texas on that line. Uh, So coming back to something that's really not well understood, I've heard people say this and it's something that it's, it's a very common statement of we're already on the brink we're already on the edge and yet they're letting these people buy electric cars and plug them into the grid when they're telling us to turn the air conditioning to 78 on a 108 degree day we're just sweltering and my response to that is that the concept of the battery in the car if it's used properly will be grabbing the wasted energy of nighttime the best example i can give of this is uh new south wales um, in Australia, where they had uh, this tremendous solar uh, energy field that was bringing, they spent a lot of money on the energy field. They put up a bunch of solar panels, the newest, the best. Um, and then they need to transport that power. They, then they said, this is fantastic. It works well when it's, when it's sunny. It doesn't work so well when it's cloudy. So they put up a big wind farm. But in that area, the wind's only blowing at night. So they say, well, this is great. So we have power during the day from the solar panels and we've got power during the night from the wind. But they didn't have as many solar panels as they had the wind field because the wind field, man, it's a lot of wind coming. The problem is that it was all coming at night. So Tesla sold them a battery bank for about $100 million. And they used that battery bank to uh, charge it up during the nighttime pipe the energy out during the day when it was in high demand, the peak demand. They, they saved or made an additional $100 million in the first year on the sale of that energy. So it isn't that we have a lack of capacity in Texas. We've got a tremendous capacity. It's there, except that we need the capacity to be, to be at the absolute maximum on demand point. So if we're producing a lot of energy overnight, where does it go? Well, we just turn the factories, the energy factories, we're going to be really simple in our terminology, down at night because people aren't demanding it as much. And then we turn it all the way up during the day. And this is the nature of peak energy. That's when it's in the highest demand and when people pay the most for it. Battery banks are good for this. It doesn't matter if you're if you're using natural gas or coal or nuclear or wind or solar, it doesn't matter the source of the energy. It all tastes the same. Peak demand defines the price of energy. And peak demand on hot days or peak demand on really, really cold days happen without regard to how many plants we have, we'll go back to factories, that we have available to make the energy at that moment. So having some form of reservoir for the flow of our power is necessary. And there's lots of research going into that, whether that we should use the um, 
actual like molten sand reservoir as a battery or, you know, keeping it insulated and then using that heat to produce more energy later or to use a lithium ion battery or what. But the idea of that as the missing piece of our power grid is pretty clear. We need the ability to preserve some of our capacity at night into the day and to to allow things to come offline at the most peak time we need to have some reservoir that we're tapping of power and that's a relatively simple concept but the politics in australia when they agreed to buy the hundred million dollar battery bank was really rough because that's a lot of extra money to spend and there's an unknown at the other end of it because nobody done it before the profits in the first year off of it paid for it so i mean from a concept of of just management of an asset having the ability to store it is pretty important and that's missing from the Texas power grid right now. We don't have the capacity to store electricity. We've got lots of capacity to make it, but it's kind of just gets thrown away if it's not used. So what do we do with extra capacity? Well, we need to find a way to store it. That evens out demand um, to buy some method of maintaining our power during the day from the nighttime is really important. Uh, that's, that was my soapbox for, for the moment, and I'll hand back to you for the next subject. I think it's vital, and it's not being considered right now. You know, it used to be many years ago when I was driving around the country routinely with my young kids in the car. You could tell when you went into Texas and when you went out of Texas because the quality of the roads in Texas were so much higher than they were everywhere else. And it ain't true anymore, unfortunately. Uh, we got some good roads in Texas, but we don't maintain them anywhere near as well as we used to for some reason. Yeah. Well, it's expensive. A- this is another factor that we bring up fairly regularly. The The highway funds are supposed to come in large part from the tax that you pay per gallon. And it's a fixed penny per gallon, fixed number of pennies per gallon, regardless of the price of gasoline. And during the spike in gasoline prices, the president contemplated waiving the gas tax, having a holiday on that for a while. But it's a, it's a very small percentage of the overall price of gasoline these days. So people said that's probably not a good idea. It's not going to have enough of an impact. I mean, in it, every little thing helps, I would say. But that was their decision. No, we're not going to do that. Well, we talked earlier and last hour about efficiency of vehicles then we talked about the price of gasoline and if you apply inflation to gasoline over about the past 50 years it's at the right price it's inflated now there were times where it was lower and times that were higher but right now it's right on the inflation number except that we're using about a third less gasoline per mile and if we're paying for our roads with the gas tax which is per gallon and we're driving three times as much distance Per gallon, we're using up the roads at three times the rate of a non-inflation adjusted per gasoline tax. So we're having to find other ways of paying for the road. And we've been doing that for a long time. This is why the advent of toll roads came up across the, the country and uh, you know, hey, we'll put in a big toll system. Well, we're because we're not paying for it with its use unless we're using toll to do it. And not even the toll co- companies are keeping up with the road quality as well as they need to. So what's going on there? Well, will you maximize your profitability if you keep the 
quality only slightly above the other roads. Uh, and that's really what's happening is these toll companies are saying, well, our roads are better than the roads over there, so we don't have to spend more on it. And the federal road system is going to Congress and saying, we need money. And Congress is going, oh, well, we've got a lot of things to spend. But uh, you may not be the top of the list. So infrastructure bill was passed last year. We expect to see roads improve. But this is an ongoing investment thing that we need. There. That was our, our long commentary about the very short conversation we had over the break. Yeah, we actually, the commentary was longer than the conversation, which is interesting. <laughs> we need to tell you that this is the personal wealth coach. And the personal wealth coach is not only the name of a radio program that you may or may not have been listening to. It is also the name of a registered investment advisory firm where we manage people's investment portfolios and we advise them. We, matter of fact, we call ourselves a wealth management firm, don't yes, we? Family, and you can reach us wealth management. on the weekend. We have voicemail, but during the week, we don't even have a phone tree. We have live people answering the phone and the local telephone number is 254-947-1111. Toll free. That's 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Or you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got newsletters that you can peruse that go back into the dawn of time or at least into uh, several years ago. Uh, you can also listen to radio programs that go back a long ways. You can sign up for our newsletter there. We'll send it to your email directly so you don't have to go to that pesky webpage. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form or directly through email at uh, jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. And you can find us wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.